0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. You are not going to believe this one. Oh, my gosh. The most invincible. Oh, I'm so excited to introduce you to Dr. Francis. She is a mental health counselor, Akashic Records reader, archetypal astrologer, podcast host, author, and college professor. She earned her PhD in mental health counseling from Barry University and has studied metaphysics for more than three decades. Having been born into a cult and finally freeing herself and her children, 33 years later, Francis is concerned that cults and other coercive spiritual groups' teachings techniques are on the rise. The therapy model and techniques she uses are based on universal laws and are designed to liberate individuals and restore self-love, self-empowerment, and self-worth. Her background in mental health counseling and metaphysics helped her create therapeutic models that help her clients gain personal insights and unlock the power of their own intuition by removing destructive subconscious programming. Dr. Francis serves clients nationally and internationally, and her mission is to help everyone free themselves from any source of spiritual coercion oh my my. gosh welcome to the she's invincible podcast we are so excited to have you here with us today
1: thank you so much i am thrilled to be here
0: oh my gosh when you listen to your bio were you thinking is that me our guests are like wow right (laughs) yes yes congratulations on all of your work and of course all of your journey uh let's do this let's jump in let's tell our listeners how in the world did you get where you are today and what makes you invincible
1: so let me tell a little of the story of the cult so my background is cuban And it's not uncommon for Cubans to seek out Afro-Cuban traditions and religions. And that's what my parents did. My oldest sister actually was mentally retarded. And it's not uncommon. It's actually written in the Vedas that one of the reasons to seek spiritual path is with a sick child. So they met this woman and they began this spiritual community. The good news is the beginning of the spiritual community was not bad at all. It was solid and spiritual tradition. And I learned the piece of information that I needed to heal myself from five years of recurrent cancer, which is spirit and matter are always together. My parents were actually the financial arm. So the material arm of the cult before it became a cult. So I learned very early on spirit and matter have to be together to, to be whole And then as I got older, things started going awry. And as many cult leaders and gurus do, became quite power hungry and money hungry. And I started identifying these patterns in her. Part of my story is that I was forced into an arranged marriage with her nephew. And I didn't want to get married, I did, and I had three children. When they were babies, both he and I agreed to leave. We split up ourselves, but we both left because we did not buy into the value system and didn't want our children to be brought up with that value system. So lucky for us, we saw eye to eye on that. And I was able to save my children from that upbringing. So long story short, what makes me invincible is actually that I'm just human. (laughs) And that was what I had to get back to when I learned a lot Um, In one of my books, I have a chapter called the body is the loyal servant to the psyche and everything that happens in our body, all scars, um, sort of like a map of what's going on in the psyche is our body. And after many, many years of having breast cancer, many surgeries, I started realizing the message was the original message from my childhood. Spirit and matter are always together together. Yes, I'm divine, but I tried to live only as a divine person without a body. And it was cancer that actually brought me back into my body so that I could be whole, so that I could actually find what makes me original. So I have something called the COO or dethrone the COO. It's not about being ordinary or being original. It's about being both. And it's through your story that what makes you original is actually what makes you ordinary as well. And that's another way to say spirit and matter are always together. So I came full circle. And the other thing that I think makes me kind of special <laughs> is that I feel I've cracked the code to the psyche, something that seems so complex. I've been able to boil down through something I call a psychological x-ray with three pretty simple questions. I ask clients, I can identify your entire psyche. And so this elusive subconscious that seems to be out of grasp is actually not. And in the seven gates book, there's a seven step model. So you can identify your subconscious pattern and then go beyond them. So that's sort of what makes me invincible.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it. And I've been reading your book, which has been just amazing. And I can't wait to do this with you today. (laughs) So yes, and you said there's three questions, right? Oh my gosh. So I have so many things I want to talk about today, and I'm gonna to try to just organize them. So let's okay. start with the first, yeah. Let's start <laughs> with the first part. Well, I mean, it just blows my mind that you were. I mean, let's start here. Let's talk about this cancer thing because you were when we first originally spoke, like you had been given like your papers, right? Like you were. You yes. were had cancer was like the third time, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just yes. going by memory. Um, and now you're cancer free. So yes. how do you go from, this is, this is the biggest thing, um, is how do you go from knocking on death's door, right? Like it, when all the doctors and everything points to like, that's it for you, right?
1: To being totally healed. And how many years ago was that? So I woke up on June 20th, 2020 and declared myself cancer-free. I called my oncologist and I said, I don't have cancer. I'm getting off all of my meds. And I had been going through a severe three-year depression where I was dead on the couch. I could not function. So between my husband leaving, my hair falling out, three of my kids leaving to college all at once, I lost my financial stability. You know, I don't like to wear the badge of honor. I lost it all. But sometimes that's programmed in the psyche for us to go to that next step. And I definitely live that out. I just knew on that day that I was declaring myself cancer free. And I went for my next checkup. And indeed, something that had been recurrent and recurrent for several years over a five year period was gone. And I really understood, I had these models in place, but I really understood at that moment how important that subconscious programming, what I call a psychological orgasm is. And when you start rewriting that program and start carving into your energy field, a new path for yourself, all things can be healed there. Now there are some soul contracts and there are some decisions and people pass and and I don't pretend to be an all knowing, you know, anything, but for me, I understood that making that declaration and what I had chosen a few months earlier to no longer give into was for me, the reason that my cancer went away.
0: And so this is like a year and four months now, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to, I'm calculating and listening. And so when you did that, did you do any, did you change anything about your lifestyle or did you just like totally and stop with the medications and treatments and then go to the doctors and find out that you were cancer free?
1: I did. So let me take you back to 2016, my original diagnosis. My original diagnosis, I sort of realized that there was a test and I needed to pass because if not, I would be a spiritual. Teacher that was a hypocrite. And I could not be a false prophet. I could not be that cult leader that I had worked so hard not to be. So I sort of had what I call a driveway moment. I was with my husband at the time, and we were booking my next appointment with the oncologist. And I looked at my schedule, and he said that Thursday of that week was better. And for me, it was Wednesday. And I totally disregarded my calendar. To adapt to what his needs were. And that word is intentional. When I got into my car, I had a nervous breakdown and I started pounding on the drive, on the steering wheel. And I said, if I don't change, I will die. And at that moment, I realized about my people pleasing. I realized that I had not had power, that I put others always before me, that I had never met my own needs and my needs had never been met. So that started me on the healing process. At that point, I decided to go vegan. I grew my own wheatgrass. I did sort of all of that. I, you know, I joined some breast cancer groups for natural healing. And I was very into Ayurveda. I had studied Ayurvedic medicine and I did a lot of ceremony and, and changed my diet dramatically. Then the second time it came, it came back fiercer. It was two very big. Tumors. I needed chemotherapy. I was not in an emotionally sound place, and I actually went. So now I call the 0, 48 to fifty two as part of my model. So I went the extreme opposite, where I didn't care. I didn't care about my diet. I lost my hair. I lost everything. It was not important to me, and I took it as only a physical illness. So at first, I tackled it only spiritually and emotionally, and second. I tackled it purely physical with the medicines and whatnot. Then I actually had reconstruction surgery at the end of 2019. I went on a trip and about a week after my reconstruction, my surgeon called and says the cancer was back. So at this point, I was like, okay, something's got to give. It's not spirit, it's not matter. And I, aha, it's the spirit meets matter. And so I tackled it in a very different way. I did work with a functional nutritionist and I changed some dietary things, but I actually started doing the inner work in a more profound way. And I created something called the spiritual TED Talk. This spiritual TED Talk is the first three steps of the model. And I started doing it incessantly and identifying every single thought that came up that was, I know now, leading to that cancer and those tumors growing. And the spiritual path, there are 12 steps on any spiritual path, no matter what religion you subscribe to. The first one that really isn't been spelled out very clearly is the truth of thought. And this isn't meditation and contemplation. This is an obsessive look at what you're thinking, what you're creating, what God you're co-creating with. It's your subconscious and it is one impure thought that we inherit at the moment of conception. When I was able to tie that together Then to my pregnancy and then to my birth story, these stages of subconscious development, I understood exactly why the cancer keep coming back. And what I was looking for is I was looking for someone to meet my needs externally. Over and over and over again, what we are seeking is someone to meet our needs and to love us unconditionally. That is an inside job that has never been your parents' responsibility, even though that's what we're sold. That's not your partner's responsibility. That's not your paycheck's responsibility. Meeting your unmet needs and loving yourself unconditionally, and there are four unmet needs, is your job. And when I stopped seeking my mother primarily in every person, place, thing, or situation, that's when I healed. I became the mother to myself. I became the teacher that I was looking for. I became the guru that I needed. I wrote the book that I needed. That was the true healing. And so for some reason, June 20th on that summer solstice, I woke up and it was gone. And I threw away all my meds. I stopped the shots. I stopped everything. And I indeed was cancer free. And my life dramatically has changed from that moment to now And I live this Ted talk plus the other steps in the model. And this is what I help clients with. And it's a game changer. Unbelievable.
0: So I'm going to ask you this on a personal opinion is, do you think the cancer was gone that day when you said it was gone? Or do you think you said it was gone and it left? What,
1: like, what, what do you really feel in that moment? I feel that when I took ownership of meeting my own needs and loving myself unconditionally. And that was sort of the declaration to the universe. And there's a couple of things I'll cover there, that the cancer no longer served its purpose. The cancer was a placeholder for something that I was unable to do. So one of the basic tenets in my model is every person, place, thing, or situation. So cancer as a thing, as a placeholder was there to meet my needs. And I've learned, and I work with a lot of people with different illnesses, illness has several functions. One of the ways is to return back to your body, um, that COO to remember and recognize you are original, that you do have a body just like every other human being, and that we are incarnate and we can only do the work here. That's a big function of illness to return to the body. But another function of illness is also to create space for us to have permission to do this inner work. And so one of the missions that I'm out to sort of help people remove the badge of honor of I lost it all, specifically in health, that we don't have to deteriorate and destroy our health and our body so that society permits us to take a few years off or six months or three days, whatever it is, to look at our inner thoughts, to look at our inner life and do this work. I was quote unquote lucky that I had a great job. It was close to home. I could work, whatever you call that, during the day. And then by four o'clock, I was in bed. I, I had no energy to function. I had great friends. I had great doctors. So I was probably lucky within all of that. But really, it was just a moment where I realized I can't care about absolutely anything or anyone, only myself. And we're not allotted that permission. So here I had my husband left me during chemo. My kids had moved away, rightfully so, for for college. You know, I lost my hair, I lost my home, I lost my health. Who was gonna say, oh, Francis, don't have a pity party. But we have to help others to not create such nonsense and just support one another so that we could hold space when you're having a bad day. And one of the things that I would repeatedly do, because I had high suicidal ideation during those years of depression, I would go into the break room every morning and there was a gentleman at work and he'd be like, how do you feel today? And I would be blatantly honest. Oh, not good today. Today, I want to put a gun to my head. Like, and he never judged me. He just held the space while I could see the look of other people that were like, oh wow, we have to get away from this woman. And fast forward, that gentleman is one of my closest friends now. Because he held the space for me to just blurt out that I wasn't okay. And that's what shadow work is about. We all have a dark side. We all have a shadow side. We all have a side we're not thrilled with and don't wanna show the world. I call this FOFO, fear of being found out. But if we could create spaces where we're allowing other people to just have bad days or months or years because it's human experience, then we can get through that. And we're going to have a healthy population because people are going to feel safe and held through a negative experience. And I know that processing a lot of that emotion that's linked to the second stage of the subconscious in my model was one of the reasons that that I got healthy. So I think there's a lot there in terms of us as society healers, helping other people, just being, you know, human. Um, But really it was, I think that declaration of the cancer no longer served me. I didn't need the tumor to hold the space for me to have an excuse. Now I was going to show up for myself, meet my needs, love myself unconditionally. And then the tumor no longer served its purpose. That's
0: unbelievable. And I know I read in your book that you had kind of talked about different um, experiences causing different cancers. So tell us about the breast cancer. Um, I think uh, I'm going by memory, but it was something about
1: not feeling loved or being unloved or so tell us about that a little bit. So this is like a broad stroke sort of model of how the psyche and the body are always connected. So If you divide the body into right and left hemisphere, the left is linked to the feminine energy. It's linked to mother and it's linked to your children. The right side is linked to more of the masculine energy and lovers. So depending on what side your disease is on, that's one piece of the puzzle. I call this a Mr. Potato Head. So when something enters what I call my sphere of consciousness and I break it down, I Mr. Potato Head it. And so this is what I do with clients sometimes with illness. And then we get down to the specificity, but just for your listeners to have sort of a broad, a broad view, there are two types of illnesses. There are scarcity illnesses and there are abundant illnesses. Abundant illnesses are like cancer. I want more of something where scarcity illnesses are like osteoporosis, for instance, where the body is breaking down. I want less of something or breakdown of something. So my cancer was on the left side and I'll share my personal story in a moment. And obviously having excess of tumors, that was an abundant illness. So I had lost custody of my children uh, years earlier when I finally divorced my husband, he, I won custody and then he took me back to court and I lost custody. And I allowed him and a judge to tell me that I was an unworthy mother. On paper, I still had my children 50-50, hadn't changed. But that declaration of you lost custody, I was no longer a mother in my head. And I believe that that was the onset of my cancer. And and my husband at the time, I said to him, this is linked to the custody. And my first oncologist was like, oh, you've had this for about 14 years. And it had been 14 years since the custody battle. So this disease is growing in you larger and larger and larger over time. It's not overnight, the the cancer. And funny enough, my husband was an oncologist. So, yeah. (laughs) So there's, of course, a lot of symbolism In that story. And so 50% of the time they were with their father. So I got it only on my left side. And what I wanted more of was my children. So you can piece the body together. The organ in which your illness shows up is directly linked to the thought or the impure thought that is linked to conception. And in a moment, I'll share the four-step model, but just as a a precursor. So that thought that you're hiding or that thought that you're embarrassed of or, or a value system around that thought that you don't want to acknowledge is part of how we create our shadow. When you have a recurrent thought, it keeps being sent like a signal to that body part. So I work with a lot of people with GI issues, which is a center of power, too much fire, too little fire, constipation, diarrhea, for instance, IBS, or breast cancer or migraines, trying to solve a problem with the logical mind when really it's an intuitive or spiritual issue. And so you start to Mr. potato head, the symptoms, the location, of where things are. The heart, for instance, is the home. The lungs have to do with your birth story when you first leave the the safe confines of the womb and now you have to breathe on your own. So asthma, things like that. So with a diagnosis, we can break it down very, very specific. But every organ has a function, every organ is linked to a planet astrologically, an archetype, it has a subconscious meaning. And so when you sort of plus, plus, plus your story or your symptomology, then you can start recognizing. And of course, timing of of when it started, you can go upstream and and identify uh, what the sort of cause was to that illness. And illness always serves a purpose always. Illness is not there just haphazardly. Illness serves a purpose either, like I said before, to return you back to your body or for you to create a space to say no, set a boundary, take time. I was getting my nails done the other day and my girlfriend who does my nails and I share a client and that client had had an ostomy bag. And she's like, you know, I haven't heard from her. It's really unlike her to not respond quickly to texts. And I said, oh, that is so great. I'm so happy that her illness wasn't in vain and she actually created the space. And my girlfriend looked at me and said, I never thought of that. If you create an illness and you don't learn to listen from the illness, then it hasn't served. So the point is to understand that this illness has shown up to serve a purpose in your life. It's not always so immediate and just by recognizing logically isn't enough. I knew the why, but I didn't get there immediately to heal till years later. But it is there to hold a space for you to do some inner work, shadow work, deeper work, and perhaps set a boundary, take back your power. So illness does serve a function. That is amazing. I'm just like, I feel like a bobblehead. I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm like, when you said your husband, your ex-husband was an oncologist. I, I, know, listeners to know, I know. My mouth <laughs> dropped to the floor too. <laughs> you were not alone there. Mine did too. So if you're just listening, <laughs> yes, you're up to date now. So you've mentioned so many important things and I don't want to take you off track because We are going to, and I think we kind of already started talking about this, how the subconscious develops and how to start reprogramming it. I feel like we set the stage for that. So let's slide right in there, and then we're going to come back to that other stuff that we talked
1: about. So yeah, let's move right in. Okay. So there are four stages to subconscious development. So in psychodynamic literature, Jungian or Freudian literature and psychoanalysis, if you've ever been to therapy, the therapist takes you to the first early year, zero to seven. There is so much that happens before zero to seven. So that's where my model starts. My model starts at the moment of conception. And I'm going to share a quote that changed my life. So I work a lot with myth, symbol, metaphor, archetypes. The universe is not literal. Okay, so when we, we buy into story very literally, we're missing sort of the metaphor behind the story. The collective unconscious, which is where everything is stored, doesn't speak literally. It speaks in myth, symbol, metaphor, and archetype. That's the language of the universe. So I will oftentimes refer, and in the book, I speak a lot about myth for this purpose, but there is a myth, one sentence of a very big myth that changed my life. And it's the famous book, The Odyssey. So Odysseus is gone to fight the Trojan War. He leaves for 10 years to go to war, fights, and comes back 10 years later. And his wife Penelope and his son Telemachus are waiting for him. And he comes home, and they're in the marital bedroom. And his wife makes a comment to him about moving the bed from the room, like if you're rearranging furniture. And he says to her, you could not separate the olive branch from the marital bed. So I'm going to explain that. But that sentence explained everything to me. You cannot separate the olive branch from the marital bed. The marital bed is the moment of conception where your mother and your father are there having sex, conceiving you. You are the olive branch. You are the exact midpoint of your mother and your father at the moment of conception. So most people think that their parents are very different. I call this the zero to 100, same coin, different side. Maybe mom is very overt, dad is very covert. Mom is manipulative, passive aggressive, dad is more of a sweetheart, not really. According to universal law, there's a law called the law of vibration. At the moment of your conception, this is where it all starts. This is why I want to spend some time here before we go to the next steps. Sure. Your soul is vibrating at the exact vibration as your mother and father in that marital bed. And obviously it's symbolic wherever they conceived you. You are therefore the olive branch. You are the peacemaker. You are the midpoint, what I call the 48 to 52 of those two people. So, and I write a lot about this in different models, but in a nutshell, we tend to have a wrong alliance with one parent, mom or dad. And that other parent is sort of outcast. That parent becomes our shadow what I call our mistress, or our unintegrated shadow. That's the bad buckets in the Seven Gates book that creates a problem. We'll get to that in a minute. So at the moment of conception, your soul has karma that it comes to burn in this experience. There are three types of karma. Imagine a big basket of karma from all of your lifetimes. You only come in this lifetime to have one thread, one tiny little thread of that big basket. That basket is called sanchitta Karma. Prabha Karma is the one story, the one thread, the one thought that you get at conception that weaves your entire lifetime. That's it. You're one. One thought, one emotion, one body, one desire, one level of consciousness. That's it. And it all happens at the moment of conception with the right two people at the same level of vibration as that karma you come to burn and the three of you make a triangle. That triangle can never, ever, ever change. What can change is who plays what part in the triangle. The ideal triangle that has never existed is mom and dad at the base, you as the child at the tip and both parents are meeting your needs and loving you unconditionally. That is a lie. We come to meet our parents' needs and love them, making it our job to meet our own needs and loving ourselves. And then we go into relationship and we repeat the pattern and we attract the parent that's the shadow parent, the one that's outcast, the one that has the bad buckets that we don't like. So in the model, I have you do the good and the bad of both parents and that creates the good buckets the bad buckets everything you list is the bad buckets and both parents have some bad but the worst bucket so to speak is that parent that you don't have the alliance with so your triangle starts off as child and father or child and mother at the base and then at the tip the other parent you can't be the olive branch of the marital bed you can't be the midpoint you can't be yourself your power center, loving yourself, meeting your needs, unconditional love towards self, in charge of your life, here to do your divine will and your purpose, if you are not at the top of that triangle. It's impossible. You have to be the 48 to 52. The 48 to 52, or the the midpoint, or the tip of that triangle, is what Aristotle called the golden mean, or what's called the yin-yang, the midpoint, or... um, you know, stopping the swings in the Kabbalah it talks about self-mastery. Self-mastery only comes when you're in the Tao or the way walking the midpoint, no extremes. So our purpose of a lifetime, even though we don't know anything about the moment of conception, usually is that moment of conception, is that sort of triangle that's supposed to be you at the top is to shift the triangle. And that comes in explanation with the other stages. Is that clear for the first piece of the subconscious. I think so. I'm stuck at like the one thread though. Oh I my know. gosh. I know. And like, I'll share how can a myth life with be you. so complicated? I know. And <laughs> it's, it's just one thread. I know. And when I tell you the psychological orgasm, you're going to explain, you're going to know three questions and you're going to see your one story. It's oh one my story. So I okay. call this your origin story, your creation myth in the seven gates book. So what happens is, and this is the important piece, okay? There's one thought, there's one emotion, and there's one desire or body, okay? And I'll explain that a little bit in a moment. At conception, you get your impure thought. This is the crux of all of your problems. This one impure thought. So I love Jesus, I have studied all religions, my model works for absolutely anything you believe in. There is every tradition and religion and spiritual path has the same truths. If you strip away the literal story. So that's why I said that earlier. So what happened with the Jesus story? They took away the conception. They took away the impure thought, the moment of conception penetration between Joseph and Mary. Nobody can live up to that expectation. But I bring you back to the COO, the chief ordinary officer and the chief originality officer, Jesus. He was ordinary because he was a man and he was divine because he was divine, as are we. The only difference is that moment of conception was removed out of his story. So it leaves you in your collective unconscious thinking you can never develop a Christ consciousness. And it's not true. When you learn to live in the spirit and the matter, when you learn to walk the worlds that's a, a term from shamanism, become the mystic where you're in your earthly consciousness as I am right now, but I'm connected to the Akashic consciousness, the spiritual consciousness, and I'm here present with you and I'm in both worlds. This is a modern day mystic, this is a shaman, this is someone who's whole, who's unconditional, who's a COO, I'm as ordinary as anybody else and I have to walk my walk, but I'm extraordinary because I'm doing my work that I came to do that only I could do. And this is super important, what removal of the impure thought or the moment of conception or the immaculate conception has done to our psyche. It's been very destructive. So when we take back, or we, we we sort of reimplant the moment of conception, what happens? The moment of conception holds, and it doesn't matter what you believe in. It could be the deadly sins. It could be vices in Hinduism. They're called reboos in um, in ethics. They're called ice, uh, vices as well as in Stoicism. In astrology, they're called or mythology hydra heads. There are certain between seven and nine sort of vices that human beings want to hide, right? We want to hide vanity and pride and lust and greed and gluttony. And in a mythology of Hercules and the Hydra, what he has to do is give sort of light or bring light to the Hydra, not cut off the heads, because if he cuts off one head two grow back, and that's what we try to do. We try to live on only one extreme, the zero or the hundred. Always trying to hide that impure thought. Guess what? (laughs) Your parents at the moment of conception were lustful or greedy or prideful, envious, something. You cannot hide that thought and your entire life structure, every problem, every story, what you wear, what you eat, how you live, who you date, is to try to hide that one impure thought at the moment of conception that I call FOFO, fear of being found out. That's fear of being found out that you're human, that you simply had two human parents and you're the olive branch, a byproduct of these two human parents. And you share the lust or the envy or the greed at the moment of conception. And you also share that sort of soul divine spark that entered the moment of conception there's your COO you work both your ordinary story and your originality you've mastered life you've cracked the code of your psyche there's a lot more because a lot of us don't know our conception story but that's where we get the one thought and I'll take you to a beautiful myth of the fates the fates are three sisters in mythology at the moment of conception clotho the fate that weaves your life is at the bed with her weaving, weaving or threading your entire life. (laughs) One thread, that's it. You are one story that keeps on giving until you identify the story, you reprogram that psychological orgasm. That is, if you believe in past lives, if you believe in the Akashic records, grooved and, and ingrained, into the energy field. And once you decide to rewrite it, then you have a different story. Same players, same elements, but a very different consciousness level. So Bert Hellinger is the father of family constellations. And he made a quote, and I sort of added to. He says that your parents gave you life, and that was enough. I changed that about uh, around a little bit. Yes, they gave you life. But what does life really mean? So if right now you had a baby and I was the doctor and I handed you a ball of energy, what would you say to me? You'd say, where's my baby? Where's the body? So with a body, which is what mothers and fathers want at the moment of birth, comes a lot. One thought from conception, one emotion from pregnancy we'll talk about. One desire, desire in the body is the same, and one level of consciousness. You are gifted all of this when you are conceived. In that moment of conception, your thought, your emotion, your desire, aka your body starts to form, and your consciousness level. You have everything you need at that moment to live your life to follow your purpose, to find your divine will, that's it. So in my model, I use the parents as an externalization of your own psyche. But eventually, when you move into adult and hopefully spiritual adult, you can let go of claiming mom and dad didn't do their job. They did their job. They gave you the most four important pieces at the moment of conception in that marital bed, you got it all.
0: Oh my gosh! I feel like we need to take a moment of silence to say, <laughs> "I I want my money back." <laughs> First of all, I feel really ripped off. One thread, just one—that one, one. stuck there. I and, know. And and people wander for a hundred years, right? And it's just yeah. one thing, okay? And then the second thing is, uh, "Ew! Nobody wants to believe their mom and dad did that." I know. We never, I know. I <laughs> never.
1: So, ew, we can all say that together. <laughs> and so that poses a difficulty, and some people will be like, how do I work with you if I don't know my conception story? Don't worry, it's one thread. I can ask you any question. You can tell me any story, and I will get you there. So the moment of conception, everything happens. But how many people have heard their conception story? Not many, right? I mean, Nobody we wants just to don't hear know all that much about our conception story. So the next stage of the subconscious development is the actual pregnancy. Something very, very important happens here. I have a book coming out next year called The Shadow Side of the Mother's Love. Okay. We think in our psyche that the womb is intact, safe, warm, cozy, and that our needs are getting met. Lie. We are meeting our mother's need in the womb. I'll give you an example. Your mother works until the last day that her water breaks. What do you learn through that amniotic fluid? You learn in order to be loved, I must be a hard worker. I have to work overtime. I have to be a workaholic. Don't be lazy. Whatever, however you got the message. That is linked to the one emotion. We all have an addictive emotion, an emotion we are addicted to, and it's not a happy, joyful addiction. Mine was hopeless. And in the psychological orgasm, you'll identify that. So in this womb, we think is symbiotic. It's not, it's parasitic. We're being told basically how to feel. We get our emotion Now, when we feel that, every time we feel it, we create chaos to feel that hopelessness, we are back in the womb, we are loved, we are safe, our needs are getting met, supposedly. In our psyche, it's destructive. This is linked to why we choose the relationship we choose. This is the attachment style, this is a hit of oxytocin, a hit of dopamine, why we choose an addictive, you know, gambling, alcohol, sex, shopping, whatever it is, is all linked to that hit from the womb. I call this toxic water theory. What we are really trying to do, but we don't know, is get back to the universal womb, to the universal consciousness Preconception when we were by the side of God, when we were in the Garden of Eden, when we were part of the universal consciousness. The womb is a trick in that respect. And there's a marked age at 42 where people will create severe chaos and blow up their life. I have a video series on my book called Spiritual Adulting, where I go age by age by age how we're guided by the universe. And the book is coming out later this year. And at 42 is a very marked year, 40, 42, that age range where we tend to seek some sort of liberation, get divorced, quit our job, start our own business, blow our life up. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to get back to the universal consciousness. But really what we do is we end up making a mess and we slip right back into toxic water. We slip right back into the womb, into that hopeless state or whatever your emotion is. And then the next 42 years, we continue. So when we have understanding of why and what we're doing, it helps us make better choices. So just act from a place of conscious mind versus subconscious and free will. So all of these resources are available for free um, on my website and my YouTube channel for your listeners. But these ages are very, very marked and programmed in our psyche. So that's pregnancy. So we have T, our thought, E, our emotion. Next is our desire. Earth. So if you know your pregnancy story, in your pregnancy story, you will know the definition of love that you were given. For instance, work hard and you will be loved. That, for those of you who are into astrology, are linked is linked to your moon sign. So your moon sign can give you some insight to that if you're into astrology, but you don't need to know that the D of this Ted talk that will be the sort of release of our psychological orgasm is the desire. This is when we actually get our body and we come through the birth canal, whether it's C-section or whether it's a vaginal birth, your birth story is probably the most important piece because you probably know a lot about it or have some some story around it. And it is linked to every single transition that you will ever have, even the transition out of the body upon your earthly death, if you don't reprogram it. The way that you move into the world, that you come through the vaginal canal or the the C-section is programmed as the method for you to transition. Our first transition we see this play out is our first sexual experience. So if you don't know much about your birth, I'll ask a client about their first sexual experience. Those are directly related. Then other transitions, marriage, divorce, moving to college, buying your first house, uh, getting an illness, uh, changing jobs, does not matter. This has a pattern. So Stanislav Groff, who's a transpersonal psychologist, he writes about something called the BPM, the birth perinatal matrix. And he talks about how the child suffocates and, and has a death rebirth during the birth cycle. I take that a step further to link it to transitions and your... Um, your small debts. I have a quote, the purpose of life is learning how to die. And death is not obviously it's metaphorical and, and ultimately to have a better, a better death upon, upon our last breath. But really it's these small debts that I call skinny cows. Every seven years, we have small opportunities for debts and they're called skinny cows in my, in my concept. And it's to learn to detach from something some person, place, thing, or situation, mainly a thought and emotion to help you get more refined and closer to that olive branch, closer to the union of self, who you are in your divine will and purpose. But the birth story, everything is programmed. I had a client the other day who was born during the Atlanta bombings in 1997. Great birth enters the world to this bombing. She's going through a transition, she's moving away to grad school and having a breakup and she's living it exactly out that way. So we want to learn to reprogram so that we don't cause transitions. And some of your listeners might say, well, I was asleep back then, my mom was numb. Well, do you wanna numb yourself through transitions? So there's always some programming that is negative in that birth story and the more you know the better but again the fourth stage of the subconscious develop now brings you to freud or jung psychodynamic zero to seven so each stage of the subconscious i call a snow globe and my first chapter is called the snow globe of delusion cracking the snow globe of delusion when you incarnate from heaven you know garden of eden universal consciousness whatever you believe That's a snow globe being shattered because now you went from this perfect identity, perfect union into conception. Now you're confined to a womb. So now you become ordinary, right? You're having a shared human experience. That's a snow globe crack in your psyche. The next is when you leave the womb or when you're in the womb, you have a snow globe crack because it's not symbiotic. Then your birth, that's another snow globe crack. Well, at zero to seven, now you are present. You know, you were there for that story, but that's all you remember, that's enough. It doesn't matter. Your snow globe is cracked. It does not matter how amazing your childhood is or was. You have a crack in your snow globe. Some have harsher cracks than others, but there is a snow globe crack. So I'll bring you to a myth. Greek mythology myth. In Greek mythology, there is a mountain called Mount Olympus where the 12 gods live. Hephaestus is the only god that was kicked out of Olympus. So hence my book, Dethroning Olympus. He was kicked out because he had a club foot. This is super important in the psyche. And he was thrown to the bottom of the ocean to be raised by nymphs. Every single one of us has a crack in our snow globe. There is a moment where your mother or your father looked at you, yelled at you, shamed you, guilted you. You just knew by a look, as I am is not enough. I do not fit in. I am different than these people. I am unworthy. That is when our persona, to use Jung's word, or our mask or our ego, or our inner child, or our personality starts. I will now wear a mask so that I am loved. Because exactly as I am is not wanted in Olympus. Another snow globe crack. That heaven, that that childhood home, as good or bad as it is, it doesn't matter, has a crack. And you feel kicked out of Olympus that metaphorical snow globe, and you have to do something to gain back your place on Olympus. And so every problem that you create links back to this psychological orgasm, this TED talk, to get you back on Olympus in good graces with your mom and dad. It's a vicious cycle.
0: Yes. And here's my next question for you is uh, what are some of the signs? I mean, everyone lives a different life, right? Some people have, and that's what the podcast is all about, right? Is it, you know, most people that have great success have had great obstacles, right? To overcome. And they have all of these stories to tell. And Uh, And that, you know, that's where we give hope, right? We give hope to our listeners by, you know, when they're in that place where they're not believing that they can do what it is they're trying to do, that one thread, it keeps going (laughs) back to. So, um, you know, there's a, so this whole thing explains a reason why some people go through life without a whole lot of stuff, and they're successful, and they live a good life, and they die, right? Uh, And then there's the other people who don't have it so easy, So what would you say some of the signs are for those people that say it's like, you know, all the red flags are up like, hey, you need help. Maybe you need to call Dr. Francis. Right. So, So tell us, like, how does that show up in the person, the human who maybe is in their 40s? Uh, and, and just can't figure it out. Can't, they know where they want to go. They know what they want to do. Can't get there. Totally stuck. uh, Discouraged. And a lot of them give up, right? They just give up and that can't be good. If you only have one thread
1: and you give up on it, there's nothing left. So tell me about that. This work is so you don't give up. This work is for you to understand why it is you're stuck in that cycle, but it goes beyond that. It gets you out of that cycle if if you choose. If you consciously choose, I call that the teenager, where you take the pause, you're in your conscious mind, you recognize your TED Talk, you recognize your psychological orgasm, and you know now consciously, based on free will, you have a different choice. And regardless of what you choose, there's no judgment here. You can make a different choice for yourself and have that life or choose to go back into your orgasm. That's fine too. Now you have created agency. Now you're no longer a victim. And that's the most important part of the work is that where you are, quote unquote, good or bad, you have earned that. You have created it, but it's not haphazardly. You have done that for a reason. I wanted to know why I was doing this before I could actually undo it. So that's what I hope to at least offer with that first part of our conversation. So easiest thing, what is the one recurrent problem in your life? Do you keep dating the same guy? Do you see every month you can't pay your mortgage? Every job you go, you have the boss or the colleague that hates you. Every time you go home for Thanksgiving, it's the same conversation about how you're not married and, or, or you can't hold a job. You are your research question. And the answer is in that problem, is in that one thread. So every one of us can relate to that. So Absolutely. I'll say to people, I'll be like, oh, you keep dating the different guy. He has a different phase and a different name. But yeah, <laughs> that is vibration, that is a law of vibration from the moment of conception. And that is what you're trying to rewrite. You can't rewrite your conception, your pregnancy or your birth, but you can rewrite from now on. All that information is to help you understand why you are in the place you are, but you do have free will and agency to create a different life. And when I mention that you're your parents give you thought, emotion, desire, a.k.a. body, and level of consciousness. That is the purpose of a lifetime. Learning to die, a.k.a. raising your consciousness. If you were born at, let's say, a rung of a ladder, D or E, and you raised it to F or G, you've done your job. You've shifted your life. You're dating different people now. You have a different job now. You have a different thread raising consciousness that is what we are here to do shift whatever was happening at that moment of conception up a notch there's a law called the law of octaves that i write about and the whole model is built on that particular law that's about do re mi fa sola ti do raising an octave you raise that energetic octave through what's called transmutation changing your thoughts your limiting beliefs Everything changes. All of a sudden, that one guy or that one job or that one paycheck goes away. It's magic, and we are in control of that.
0: That so is. We have so to understand.
1: <laughs> it is. We have to understand, though, why we're addicted. To our orgasms, so if you allow, I could speak to that. Is that does that answer your question in terms of how to identify it?
0: Yes, yes, for sure, and definitely, you can speak to it. Before you do, I just want to say to our listeners, uh, just um, uh, you have programs for this, right? So they can reach out to you, and um, the your. Links are in the show notes and a little bit later we'll talk about where they can find you, but everything is in the show notes. So if you can't wait until we get to that point, just hit the show notes right now and just go get her. Uh, But yeah, so you teach this, right? You work with people to to uh, discover this, right, and overcome it. but And then you also have your books and the the future ones that are coming out, as you mentioned. Um, And you have a university now. So if people are really into this, which is like, it's mind blowing here, but if you're really interested, you can actually attend the university and learn how to support people in this way too, right? So, oh my gosh, it's so cool. So go ahead, go ahead
1: and speak to that. So I want to talk a little bit about the psychological orgasm. So this is basically what the TED Talk is linked to. So let me take you back to that snow globe between zero to seven. Again, no matter how shattered, unfortunately, there are people that have suffered severe trauma. That snow globe is shattered very early on, destructive. There are, most of us are in that sort of midpoint. Our parents were good and bad, indifferent, nothing too terrible. And then there are those people that have a snow globe that they would consider idyllic or perfect, like a Disney childhood. That isn't true. Every single one of these snow globes has a crack. What happens is between zero to seven, at that moment of shame, blame, guilt, whatever it is, when you saw the look at mom at the at the grocery store, or dad, you know, a shame that you failed a grade, whatever it is. You developed your inner child. Your inner child broke off and became very, very small, is somewhere probably in your subconscious head, shriveled, hungry, cold, and wet. So, if you can put an image to that. And I do recommend to clients when they're working on this that they get either a picture of themselves when they were little. I bought myself a three pound Yorkie that I that never grew so that I would have a representation or a plant or if you have a baby so that you can kind of see in step two of the TED talk, how you're talking to that child and why your vision boards don't come true and why the partner of your dream doesn't show up. If you're neglecting this big part of yourself The inner child says, oh, this man, this yacht, this job is just one more thing that's going to take away attention from me. Let me sabotage you. So this is all happening in the psyche. So during that shattering or crack of the snow globe, when the personality, the ego feels separate, the persona is forced to be created, we wear a mask. We get a nice guy mask, a cool girl mask, a seductress mask, whatever your mask is. And that's how you start showing up in the world. So like the class clown, for instance, or the, the perfect, you know, the perfectionist or, or someone who's always a straight A student. You, you have an identity now in the world. And this is an attempt to seal or heal that snow globe. What happens is we go through a TED Talk. Every single time that we, we create all the chaos that we create chaos, conflict, a problem. And this is important. From one to 10, the subconscious does not differentiate between a broken toenail and cancer. Like I could have just gotten a headache and broken my toenail, but no, I got cancer because I'm a bit dramatic, right? So this yeah. is important to understand the subconscious does not care. What type of chaos you create on a scale of one to 10. So we have agency in choosing smaller things to make the same point. But again, going back to societal sort of norms, if it's bigger and bolder, your boss might get you, you know, get you off or, or your spouse might allow you to take time off from the dishes, whatever your story is. But the subconscious is not differentiate on a scale of one to 10. Chaos and conflict is always the same. And I'm sure you remember the Rick Moranis movie, um, Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. Remember the big Audrey plant would be like, feed me, Seymour, feed me. That's our subconscious. Our subconscious is constantly, instead of feed me, saying, need me, Seymour, need me. So every single thing that we create on a scale of one to 10 could be a drop of blood to Audrey too, or it could be a whole body that at the end of the movie he was feeding him whole people. It's the same. The subconscious doesn't care. And so let's start with agency and knowledge that, oh, I can get a headache or drop my pen. And that's the exact same thing as getting a car crash and losing a limb in the subconscious, no difference. So let's start with that. Why do we create chaos? We create chaos and conflict and problems to try to go back to the moment of conception and do it all differently. So each time I know, become the olive branch. But I'm going to explain why it face. doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so every conflict we create, again, the, the napkin, the pen falls on the floor, the glass shatters or cancer or a car accident or my husband walks out of me, same thing. We are creating that conflict to go back to the moment of conception to see if we can create a whole new life, a whole new thread, a whole new emotion, a whole new desire. It can't, right? Cause you are here. Right. So it doesn't work and we are programmed. So the minute you have a problem, three things sort of come up this Ted talk, your thought shows up, your impure thought from conception, your emotion from pregnancy, And your desire or the bodily deadly sin or vice that you're addicted to immediately floods in. So these are the three tricks. First thing is tell me a story, tell me a problem. Oh, I got into a car accident. Okay, that's right there, the story. The next question, and this is the the gold. What don't I like about it? Person, place, thing, or situation. The minute you don't like something, you're having a judgment. Judgments are confessions and they're great. People that say don't judge, no, you judge. Judgments are confessions and they're great. Why? Judgments are linked to values. Values are of two types. There are good bucket values like integrity and honesty and authenticity. And there are bad bucket values, greed and envy and lust and pride. If we do not start having comfortable conversations about these bad bucket values, we're going to continue getting sick. So I have to own that I have a value system that I got at the moment of conception that in my book I call the bad buckets. Simple question to people. From zero to seven, what didn't you like about your mom and your dad? Those are your bad bucket values. They were manipulative. They were never around. They weren't caring. They robbed a liquor store, whatever. It all links back to a part of you that you feel is weak, that deserves to be hated, self-hatred, low self-worth. And we get into this mechanism to try to cover that so the second question is, what don't I like about said person, place, or thing? Well, I don't like I got into a car accident because now my car is smashed and it looks ugly. So, and this is later on, but I'll kind of just drop it in here. What bad bucket or what vice or deadly sin does that link to? Well, vanity, right? I want the car to look pretty. I'm trying to cover up that I'm vain. I'm trying to cover up that I'm greedy, that I'm gluttonous and I'm envious and I'm lustful, nonsense. If you have a body you have those desires. So that second question links you back to those desires. But all you have to answer is what don't I like about it? And what is that telling me? What you tell your inner child. Why your inner child is cold and wet and hungry and in a corner sad and self-sabotaging you is because every judgment you have about another person, in spirituality, there's no other, is about yourself. So I'm ugly, not the car. I'm not worthy, not the car. I'm a bad driver, that means I'm lazy, I'm sloppy, I'm messy, not the car or the accident. It's always about self. That second question, 90% of problems could be diffused with that question. And the importance of that question is, are you capable of having been that, currently are that, or in the future could be that? And the answer is yes. If someone hurt my children, I'm sure I can find a murderous instinct to hurt someone. To deny that we are capable of the darkest things in society is naive. Those are thoughts you keep private, obviously. But we are all capable of all things. And so if we call ourselves out on, I'm capable, the judgment you're having, oh, that person is fill in the blank. Are you that? Have you been that? Are you capable of that? And your answer is yes. hundred percent of the time diffuse conflict. I don't have to continue the nonsense of this psychological orgasm or trying to get a hit. And we don't do that. We hide that we are that and we judge it. Oh, I don't like that political affiliation. I don't like that behavior. And we don't bring it back to self to realize that we too have that capacity. So then what kicks in, question three, what does it prove about me when I have that thought or that judgment? Well, that I'm not worthy, that I'm not enough, that I'm abandonable, that I'm forgetful, that you know, I'm, I'm fill in the blank. And that's your psychological orgasm. And that is linked to the emotion that your mom gave you in the womb. If you obsess about your thoughts, any situation, what it is, what you're judging, what it proves, you are in a psychological orgasm 24 7. It makes sense why you're constantly attracting the guy or the job or can't pay your bills.
0: Oh, Because my you're getting gosh. a hit.
1: You're getting a yes. hit. You're getting a hit. <sighs>
0: okay. Well, we have a few other topics we're going to cover. So, what I think we're going to do here is we're going to we're going to talk about your book real quick and we're going to move into the good, the bad and the ugly, and then we're going to record some more. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, so this has been, uh, the, you've already explained so much to me just in this last 10 minutes about the questions that I said, we'll talk about it. <laughs> so this is, that's mind blowing and uh, eye opening and life changing, right? Because you said, once you figure this out and you're able to take yourself to where you need to be, the, the floodgates open and the, you're drinking from the fire hose and all the things that you have been trying to get to all of your life will now just come to you,
1: right? How- Absolutely, because now you've opened up the space to shift the system, that triangle, right? Where now you're at the tip, you're meeting your own needs, you're loving yourself unconditionally, despite having impure thoughts, despite having this orgasm that this emotion in my case of hopelessness actually makes me feel good, that I feel good at the bottom of the ocean because I was kicked out of Olympus because I wasn't perfect. That's owning the ordinary aspect, the humanness. And now within that, I can find my extraordinary or my originality. This is amazing.
0: Well, I'm going to talk about your book, The Seven Gates, Seven Steps Beyond Self-Awareness. And you're going to hear or read in this book a lot of what we just talked about today in this episode, which is just unbelievable. And so tell us about this book real quick about what people, why they want to read this. I mean, I love it. So I still have a
1: few pages left, but it's been amazing for me. So this book, a lot of what I talked about sort of in a synopsis is in the book, but it has a workbook. So there's 30 days of ceremony um, at the end, and there's a workbook for you to do your own psychological x-ray. So the psychological x-ray is three questions, good and bad about mom and dad from zero to seven, And what would you describe yourself as a child from zero to seven and how others would describe you from zero to seven? That's your entire psychological x-ray. Your entire psyche is based on that. The good is the hundred, the stuff you're proud of, the stuff that doesn't cause conflict, your strengths, your coping skills, the, the, the way you move in the world, light and bright. The bad buckets of your parents linked to these deadly sins or vices, but just as you write them is sufficient, is the, the shadow or the zero. And what we do is we move into these pendulum swings from zero to 100, zero to 100. This is what I call child script. You're either in child, teenage, or the goal of the book is to bring you to adult. And I do have a book called Spiritual Adulting coming out later this year. But an adult or spiritual adulting similar. The zero to 100 Acting like your parents exactly the same or acting the exact opposite child. That is not doing it differently. Only when you do it different from your parents, the midpoint, the olive branch, so 48 to 52, not the zero to 100 of mom and dad, like I said before, maybe dad was covert and mom was overt. Well, you're the midpoint where you use both of those depending on your scenario, your situation, that's when you're at 48 to 52. 48 to 52 comes from a spiritual law called the law of the pendulum. And the law of the pendulum in the Kabbalion, a a book on on the spiritual laws of the universe, says that self-mastery is only achieved when the high highs and the low lows slow down, they neutralize. So if you're doing the exact opposite as mom and dad, they're bad buckets, or the exact same, you're in child. We don't want to be in child. The child is linked to the psychological orgasm. What's funny about the psychological orgasm, those first three questions of the seven steps, is that when you start doing every situation, you're going to get exhausted that you're a broken record. Every single time, I'm hiding pride, I'm feeling angry, whatever it is. You're going to be like, oh my God, I have clients call me and say, Francis, get me out of this hell loop because it is a vicious hell loop in your thought process. Of course, that's why your life is the way it is. So it's really good to see what I call saturation to saturate those first three questions. And the free workbook is on my website for your listeners. So you don't have to buy the book. It's there. And I have a podcast called Mistress of the Subconscious where I talk about the steps And on my YouTube, I have a ton of videos on what's called the mother-father-child triad. That's the name of the model. There's tons of videos to help you walk through the steps, and you could do this yourself. So that's the child. Next is the teenager. The teenager is the pause. It's linked to a breath. This is super important because I told you before that we inherit the parents or choose the parents and the level of vibration and consciousness based on our previous karma Well, there's a a third karma, and it's called agami karma. So you've got your big basket of karma from all the lives. You've got your one thread of karma in this one, Prabha. But if you keep showing up as a child in your life, not doing your divine will, you are continuously creating karma, adding to that original basket for all the other lifetimes. Don't you want to stop and burn Just experience the one in this lifetime. That's where the teenage step comes in. And this is important. The teenage step is now you've identified quickly your TED talk. Okay. I created this problem. What don't I like about it? That's my judgment. And it proves this, that I'm not worthless. Okay. I could take a breath and choose to go right back into that toxic water, into that psychological orgasm and live my life as usual, or I get to choose an adult. You don't. Create karma when you take that breath, that pause, and make a choice rooted in free will. Even if it's to go back to your old pattern, that is super, super important. The act of free will is what allows us to stop creating karma. It's not being nice. It's not saying the right thing. It's not putting a smile when your enemy walks in the room and go positive vibes or wish you good when really you're thinking nonsense. This is what I call a spiritual STD. Say, think, do. You're thinking it and you're saying something else and you're doing something else. You created karma. But if you could pause at that moment and recognize, okay, I'm about to go back into my child's script because it makes me feel good. You don't create karma. You're choosing that free will. Something will change. Something in your life will change. I've seen it enough that the system shifts a bit, not dramatic changes, but something will change. Let's just say the guy hasn't called, the guy will call. Something will happen. It's not as dramatic as when you choose adult and spiritual adult, but something does shift just from the mere fact of pausing in the teenager and saying, I'm going to choose my childhood script and my old psychological orgasm because you're doing it consciously. The free will or the conscious mind is less than 1% of our decision-making. You didn't choose what you're wearing. You didn't choose your food. You didn't choose any of this consciously your partner, your job, the paint on your walls. It all has a subconscious connection. So when you take that breath and you pause, now you're creating the space to then make a choice that's rooted in free will and conscious, even if it's going back to your old pattern. Now, I just want to state something about the subconscious and why it doesn't care if it's from one to 10, When your mother or your father gave you that moment of shame or blame or guilt or looked at you like we don't behave this way, every single time that you create a conflict, that you create chaos or a problem, what you're hoping for is that mom and dad come running down the stairs and go, we were wrong. No, we love you just as you are. That's what's going on in your head. So, you create problem after problem after problem after in hopes that they will show up differently. They could be dead. You may have never known them. It doesn't matter. In your head, you're giving this person, place, thing, or situation an opportunity to show up different, meet your needs, and love you unconditionally. And everyone lets you down, everyone, because it's your job. So, the basic premise of the book is. Every person, place, thing, or situation, including breast cancer, is representative of your mother and your father. So, yes, I wanted my children, and I wanted more of my children, but really what I wanted was more of my mom. Left side. Wow.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, guys. So, click the link and grab that book, and let's tell
1: our listeners where they can find you. Sure. So my website is Dr. Yahia, dot com. There's a tab that says workbooks and most of the workbooks are there. The relationship model, the family model, the inner child slumber party model, the, um, the individual model. That's the seven gates. There's a ton of them there. There's a moon workshop model. You can download those youtube just google my name for youtube hundreds and hundreds of hours of video from the university if you're into metaphysics astrology mythology psychology depth psychology symbol metaphor you name it there's something for you on that channel hundreds of hours if you're interested in taking classes my college is called the hidden truths college of metaphysics and that's hiddentruthscollege.com. i have a patreon page For those of you that perhaps are just starting on a spiritual path, there are 12 steps on any spiritual path. If you're already doing something, all of these will be in alliance with what you're already doing. It's a Patreon. It's $10 a month, and it's called a Spirituality Starter Kit, and you can just put my name in Patreon. And all of the resources, my Mistress of the Subconscious podcast, everything is free. At the core, because I grew up in a cult is really to help people not have reliance on teachers, gurus, masters, cult leaders, religious leaders. Yes, we are important on your path. I call us pebbles on your path, but not long term. This is an inner journey for your life and that's why everything that I write and and teach is free for you online. And if you want a session, you can get in touch with me through my through my website.
0: Perfect. Oh my gosh, well this has been amazing. And now, a word from our sponsor. Christine Trumbull, founder of Coaching the Climb, understands the challenges of building a successful business. She's faced many of those challenges herself and helped hundreds of clients build successful businesses. With the launch of her new podcast, The Climb with Christine, you will hear the same advice she gives her clients, as well as conversations with experts in a variety of topics, including business, health, relaxation, mindset, kids, and fashion. Check it out on iTunes, The Climb with Christine, and be sure to subscribe, download, and give her a rating and review. gosh you know on the she's invincible podcast we promise our listeners that we're going to bring them fierce female entrepreneurs and we are going to give them value value oh my gosh you have done that so beautifully today and i appreciate so much that you did you know we also promise them that while we spotlight and showcase these fierce female entrepreneurs that we also pull back the curtain and we share with them because people are going to listen to this and be like, wow, this girl is a genie, right? She's brilliant. She knows everything. She answered every question I never even asked. She read my mind, right? But they don't they don't really know your journey. Uh, and so we love to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we're going to do that real quick uh, so that we can share with them, like, yes, you're real too. I mean, you talked so much about, the breast cancer diagnosis. Oh, I mean, three times, right? That's insane. That in itself is the craziest journey ever. Uh, But we want to share. So we're going to jump right into the good. Do you have a quick story you could share with our listeners about the good part of your journey?
1: Yes. So before the cult became a cult, it was really a sound spiritual community. And I definitely attribute being raised in such a sound spiritual community those early years um, to understand spirit and matter. And like I said before, the cancer helped me get embodied. And so many people on a spiritual path are running away from their body because the body is a source of pain or illness or emotion, feeling. And it really is when you unite both the spirit and the material that you become the shaman or the mystic or the healer for yourself. And that's what we call walking between the worlds in shamanism. So I am um, definitely, I have worked to become that, where I embody both the ordinary and the original, the spirit and the matter, so that I can show up as a whole person for myself, my clients, my children, my lover, everybody. And that's what we strive for, being whole. And it really is, in a nutshell, being spirit and matter, a meeting in the middle,
0: and that happened really early on right at what point did this like spiritual uh group turn into this cult like
1: how old were you i was much older it was in my late 20s right before i had children um she had a misfortune event happen with one of her children and that just spiraled her into a major decline and It was just time for me to leave when the values really shifted. That wasn't what I wanted my kids born into. But prior to that, the teachings of foundation, understanding spirit, understanding laws, understanding the universe, so much came from the early, early years. And like I said, my parents were the material armor, the financial piece, which is representative of the body, you know, food and sex and and, and health and nutrition and the things that we have to nurture, just our ordinariness. And also this idea of, you know, this special divine piece of us. So that was very important in my journey. I actually start the book with that story, how I was presented, like in The Lion King, how I was named after the spirit guide. So it was the unification of both of those. And through cancer, I was able to come back to the body. But it wasn't until my late 20s that really things started spiraling. So those early years that are so formative were absolutely wonderful. Amazing. So,
0: and, you know, it just proves that you can always find something, right, positive yeah. in, in not so a positive place. So what about the bad? So
1: tell me a story about the bad part. I mean, oh, there's so, so much, but many, yeah. many years ago, and you know how Facebook is like, how many followers do you have? Well, many years ago, I posted on my Facebook or Instagram, how many swallowers do you have? And that, that was a story of mine. Talk about a thread, which was that I was swallowed, whether it was from the cult leader, after I left that cult, I was swallowed by another guru slash teacher that I also gave my power to and then business partners. And I was divorced twice and I kept just giving my power away. And I was swallowed repeatedly because I didn't know how to meet my own needs. I was looking for someone to meet my needs, someone to love me unconditionally, to let me know that I was worthy. And so I always say that I became the teacher that I needed. I became the author that I needed. I wrote the books that I needed. I became that person for myself. So when I learned to stop giving away my power, I had been looking for myself all along. I just didn't know it. And I kept externalizing it. So yes, uh, being swallowed was definitely bad. Wow. (laughs) Part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to point out
0: here that this has only been a really short time span Mm -hmm. that you have done (laughs) All of this work, right? So we're talking about like 16 months here from the time from from the solstice when you said, I'm not, I'm done, I don't have cancer anymore, to the writing of this book, right? Starting the university. This book started
1: in 2016. But okay, so this was the first. Yeah. Since that time, I've written seven books and I've started the college. And I had always taught, you know, astrology, Akashic records and, and mediumship and things like that. But now I have a functional licensed college by the state of Florida. I've got seven books, someplace in either published editing, somewhere along the line between this year and next year, they're coming out. I've been on tons of podcasts. I, I, I just, it's like, all of this is finally just burst from me when I finally stopped allowing myself to be swallowed. So, that is so yeah, you can really do it overnight and catch up. This idea that we're behind or I'm behind or an age, that's nonsense. The universe does not buy into that at all.
0: I love that. How encouraging is that to our listeners to be like, you'd be like the bamboo tree, right? You'd be growing under the ground and the next that's thing you know, right. you'd <laughs> up. Yeah, tons and tons. They're amazing. Okay, well, this has been so fun, but we have to go to the ugly. So tell us about your ugly story.
1: The ugly was needing to get to a point of such despair and losing it all in order to have permission to finally find myself and do this work. And really, it's it's one of the big missions I'm after is to help people not have to wear that badge of honor of losing it all. I lost my hair. I lost my breast many times. I had multiple surgeries. Um, My home, I had this beautiful home that I had created to all my spiritual specifications, some friends in the process, a a marriage that I thought was wonderful at the time and learned since that wasn't, but so much, you know, financially, um, just, so much that I had to lose or I thought I had to lose in order to just to societal spec say, well, I've lost it all. Now can it be my turn? And we don't have to do that, but that was definitely the ugly sort of Netflix special dramatic version of my my story is that really lost everything. Even my fate, which had been my overriding sort of lifeline. And when I lost that, that I knew was rock bottom.
0: Oh my gosh. But look at you now. You have emerged from the ashes. Yes. Well, this has been so amazing. So to our listeners... Uh, Just click on the link right now. Click on the show notes, grab the link, whatever you want to do. YouTube, order a book on Amazon, uh, go check out the university. It's just amazing. Um, And so I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but I think we just proved today that you can do it. So just get back up, like get back up. Whatever it is, wherever you are, whatever you're thinking, just get back up. Tell them, tell them, Francis.
1: Yes. So I'll leave you with, there's two types of time in the universe. There's chronological time or chronos. So that's the clock. But then there's something called kairos. And in Greek, they mean opportune time. So this is your kairos. This is your opportune time. There is no time in the spirit realm. That's just a chronological earthly idea. So use your Kairos. This is your opportune time right now. Start your TED Talk. Look at who you're co-creating with and make choices to move forward and rewrite that. And if you need my help, I am available.
0: I love it. Get back up, girl. You can do it. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camylehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.